Greetings, boys and ghouls. This is Rish Outfield, and you're listening to the Rish Outcast. If my timing is correct, I will be posting this when I'm far away, out of the country. I've got this big Europe trip, the last bit of October, first bit of November, and uh, as of this recording, it's just a couple of days away, and I'm nervous about it. The last few months have mostly been taken up by me working on an audiobook, and uh, I recognized that I didn't have an episode of The Outcast for Halloween. I tend to. In fact, I'd be surprised if there was ever a year that I didn't, because Halloween is just a big deal to me. And so many of my stories are appropriate, I guess, for a Halloween episode. But I realized that there would be no time to polish a story off and record it and edit it and record an episode and edit that in time for Halloween because I'll be gone the last week of October. And so I thought, well, that, you know, that's a shame. Maybe I'll record just like a little Halloween greeting. Take care, guys. Stay spooky, etc. But I was looking today on my laptop at files that I had of audio recordings for stories that I've never done an episode for. And I discovered one called Murder Maze that I haven't done before. At least I assume I haven't done it. I hadn't edited the audio of it, but it was on my laptop from 2019. And so I decided, okay, today I'm going to sit down and edit that, and today I'm going to record an episode for it, and hopefully I'll, I'll keep it short, and I can get this episode out in time for Halloween. Because the day deserves it. Just a couple of days ago on Facebook, somebody had posted, I, I, I have Facebook friends that aren't really my friends. I'm sure you're the same way. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're compartmentalized. I, I know there are people on there that only actual capital F friends and family are part of their groups on Facebook. But because Big Anklevich and I, thank you, were podcasters and created our Facebook profiles after we had started the Steef and were hoping that our fans would follow us, I have many, many more Facebook friends that I, I don't actually know. And one of those people, which I'm assuming they knew me from a podcast or from my audio work, or they were friends with someone else who I was also friends with, they did a post about how evil Halloween is and how it seduces our children into thinking that Satan is okay. You know, that black magic is fun kind of thing. And it was not a satirical post. It was not sarcastic. It was sincere. And I read the five or six points on the post. It was just like a, an image. Some people, I guess, would call that a meme. I wouldn't. 
and, and yeah, there was no punchline at the end. It was Halloween is bad and anybody who celebrates Halloween is also bad. And I know there are people like that, that, that believe that. My aunt believed that. She also believed that uh, Harry Potter was bad because of magic, because of spells. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if she buys into that whole <laughs> hocus pocus can possess your kids if you let them watch it on Disney+. Plus. Well, I would be surprised because it's just ludicrous, man. Well, to each their own. Everybody has their own belief system. But I love Halloween. So do I, Rish. After all, it is my birthday. <laughs> and I embrace it. And I will be for the very first time in Europe for Halloween, and I, I imagine that there will be some celebrating, even if it is at a much lesser extent. And so we'll see, we'll find out. I will, I'll be sure to tell you all about it, if you care. They don't. <laughs> Feel free, by the way, to uh, let me know what you want me to talk about from my Europe trip. and. Uh, I will make sure to bore you with those details. So, Murder Maze <laughs> is a story that I wrote in October of 2019. Uh, it was the very end of the month, and I sort of challenged myself to write a whole story, to edit it, and to put it out there, like on Amazon, before Halloween. And I, I did it. I did it in like three or four days. And I know that because I was looking at my notes today and I discovered that a big chunk of the writing that I did was lost. And to make that deadline, I had to force myself to sit down and rewrite all of that stuff that was lost because I had the beginning and then all of the middle was gone, and then I had started on the ending when I guess I somehow lost that file. I can't remember, but I'm, I was blogging every single day in those days. I'll bet I wrote about it. I've talked for a little while. Let me run the story, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the story. I hope that you like it, and even if you don't, listen to it in the spirit in which it is intended. The Spirit of Halloween. Murder Maze Written and narrated by Rish Outfield When the phone rang and I saw that it was Lily, I nearly fell on my face trying to answer it in time. She was the kind of woman that did that to people. Well, to me that I knew about, and probably to guys other than me. I stubbed my toe on a shoebox and did my best to keep the pain out of my voice when I picked up. She would think I had let the breakup really get to me, which, of course, it had. And I wanted to seem cool and not desperate, neither of which were true. Hey there. 
I tried to sound casual, but I'd said it through clenched teeth. Tom? Did I wake you? she asked. It was four in the afternoon. I told her no and marveled at how hearing her voice made me feel. My bruised toes didn't hurt so badly anymore. She had changed her mind. She missed me, and we were going to be together again, and I'd gladly sacrifice two or three toes for that welcome news. Hey, I just wanted to call to remind you about Thursday, she told me after finding out how I was doing and not calling me on my lie that I was doing great on my own. Thursday. The maze, she said. That didn't ring a bell, and I thought I'd heard her wrong. The murder maze, Lily said, slow and clear. And our conversation from two weeks ago came back to me. We'd been in her apartment, washing dishes together, and she brought up her work carnival, the Thursday before Halloween. She was an English teacher at Wallaceville Middle School, and every year they had a party and invited not only the students, but their parents and siblings. People from the neighborhood that didn't even have kids came out and raised thousands of dollars for the school. Thousands? I had said. Pretty doubtful. It's a good cause, Lily told me. Guess so. Mr. B goes all out, she said. There's face painting, a bake sale, fun activities like dancing, pumpkin carving, bobbing for apples, and you know Zandra Bollinger? Of course. Every male in town knew Alexandra Bollinger. She puts on this super slutty gypsy fortune teller outfit, complete with a push-up bra that ushers half of the seventh graders into puberty and tells fortunes in a little tent. Her cleavage alone lines them up to the parking lot and brings in a surprising amount of business. Uh-huh. Having seen Alexandra in regular clothes... Any amount of business would not have surprised me. Okay, sounds fun, I said. You want to go? Well, I'm already going. Usually I sit at a table and sell crows, hats, and t-shirts, or man the ticket counter. Would you like to volunteer? Depends on what costume you'll be wearing. Be there and find out, she'd said, raising her eyebrows. But the faculty needs its list of volunteers this week. Lily was a pretty lady, in a conservative, librarian sort of way, but I'd have been happy if she was wearing a Ursula the Sea Witch or Jabba the Hutt costume. I was falling in love, and would have agreed to most anything. What do you need me to do? I was going to volunteer you for the murder maze. I put down the plate I'd been drying. I thought I'd heard her wrong. The what? It's this big thing they do every year in the field between the school and the church parking lot. They make it all scary, and a farmer drives his tractor through it. Mr. Bledsoe always has guys dressed as monsters and aliens and stuff to jump out and scare the kids. Oh, a spook alley, I said. Sure, I was well familiar with those. We're not supposed to call them that anymore, Lily said, practically wincing. There was a memo. The word's offensive. I get it, I said. Alley could be taken as a slur against Muslims. Not exactly, Tom, but... Then she smiled, 
realized I'd been joking. So, do you want to be in it? Spook Alley is offensive, but a junior high can get away with calling this thing a murder maze? Middle school, she corrected me. Right, right. I had grown up in Montana, where middle schools weren't a thing. Is it a place you murder folks, or a place you go to be murdered? The latter, Tom. But the name's because we're the crows, she said, as though that explained everything. So? You know, a murder of crows? I shook my head. The football team is that awful? No, that's what you call a group of crows. A murder. It was my turn to laugh. No, it isn't. I'm serious. But it's not a flock. A flock of crow. That's seagulls. I promise you, a group of crows is called a murder. And since we're the crows... <sighs> it's a stupid name, Lily. Well, I didn't make it up. Mr. Bledsoe always makes a huge production of things. He was telling us the shop classes had been making fake trees and a tunnel out of plywood. And he's been out this week decorating with fake spiderwebs and stuff. He looks forward to it every year. At that point in our relationship, I had been imagining how it would feel to look forward to Lily every year. So I'd volunteered to be a monster in their maze. And within a week, Lily had broken up with me. We'd wanted different things, and we didn't have much in common, and she got the impression I didn't listen to her when she talked. When it came down to it, Lily Davenport was smart, and I wasn't. That's what I suspected. I hadn't heard from her in days. And then she called to remind me about the Halloween carnival. I was shocked she still expected me to go, honestly. It's Thursday, and we're supposed to show up before 5.30, she told me over the phone. This Thursday, I said. At the time, I'd asked her why it wasn't on the weekend, since I had to be up at 6 the next morning. She had told me she didn't make the schedule. It's just from six to nine, she added, not ten seconds after telling me to be there by five-thirty. I sucked in air between my teeth. I'd forgotten about my stubbed toe. Till nine, I asked. On a school night? Why don't they just have it on Friday so the kids can stay out as late as they want? You asked the same thing the other night, Lily told me. The other night had been more than two weeks back, when I'd have volunteered to shovel gorilla turds, barefoot, when we were a couple. I didn't set up the date, she said. Yeah, I know. Apparently, that hadn't changed. Will you be there, Tom? she asked, and by her tone, she wanted to add, or should I tell them you're afraid to show up? Instead, she said, It's for a good cause. What do I have to do? I said, and I thought I sounded cheerful. A team player. A good loser. Mr. B bought a bunch of costumes, so you just have to bring yourself. Lily sounded totally cheery, and I bet it wasn't an act. She was over me, as quick as that. Is that okay? Yeah, I said. And then, because I couldn't help myself. How are you doing? Good, good, she replied, 
she replied, super fast and knee-jerk. I hoped she was covering for at least a tiny bit of regret. She thought we had wanted different things, and maybe that's true, since I had only wanted her more than anything. Five-thirty, at the school, I said, feeling glum, but determined to be both polite and positive. Behind the school, by the portables. I didn't know what that was, but I could figure it out. It's supposed to be cold Thursday, Tom, she added. Is it? It had been cool this week, even for October. Bring a jacket? Uh-huh. Well, I'll see you there, Lily said. Then, after a pause, I guess she expected me to fill. Thanks, Tom. As soon as she'd hung up, I started to speak up for myself. What was Wallaceville Junior High, Middle School to me? Why would I give up my whole night in an unseasonably cool fall when I had to work the next morning, and my girlfriend had dumped me like a moldy plate of hash browns? What was in it for me? Halloween was for kids, and I wasn't... But she was gone, and I had agreed, and I'd be there on Thursday. And I guess I wanted to see her again, even if it was as a friend. That struck me as a little pathetic. But hey, it was for a good cause, right? It was certainly a big affair for the town, judging by the number of cars in the parking lot when I pulled up. I had to park in a spot where a minivan had straddled the yellow line, making me worry that the door to my old Acura would get dinged before the end of the night. I looked around for familiar faces. Well, one familiar face, and didn't see her. It was mostly adults, staff and faculty, and there was already a line at the ticket counter, which had been set up on the grass where the parking lot ended. Kids ran around, laughing and being loud, but only about a third of them wore costumes. Somebody's iPhone was playing Michael Jackson's Thriller. There were decorations aplenty, some tents set up, tables, even one of those old-fashioned searchlights from the beginning of movies. Wallaceville was not a big town, but over a hundred people had shown up already, and it wasn't even six. Tom? I heard her voice ask. She sounded surprised to see me. I turned around. Lily was dressed, barely, in a red riding hood costume, complete with hooded cape, bright red lipstick, and more cleavage than I'd ever seen on her before. She must have felt my gaze. Zandra Bollinger didn't show up. She got a part in a play down in Praisden this week. The musical about the lesbian witches. I nodded, even though I had no idea which play she meant. I thought I'd remember hearing about a play like that. Anyway, she's got a performance tonight, and somebody volunteered me to take her place. I tried to make eye contact. I really tried. As the fortune teller, remember? Lily added. I nodded again, vaguely remembering something about that in a previous conversation. I had never been a huge fan of Halloween, but I certainly appreciated how it could take somebody as reserved as Lily Davenport and put them in an outfit suitable for pole dancing. 
Way to celebrate the harvest, kids. Lily walked me over to one of the portable class buildings and told me to find Mr. Bledsoe, the assistant principal. The pirate, she said, pointing. I looked around and found a man talking on his cell phone, dressed in an elaborate pirate getup, complete with eye patch and stuffed parrot. I waited for him to finish his call, looking around as people prepared for the carnival. Bledsoe seemed young, maybe forty or so, and came across as younger every time he added, Arr! to the end of a sentence. Tom, right? he said, smiling. Lily's friend? I couldn't tell if there was a pause between Lily and friend, and if there had been what it meant. Either he knew we were broken up, or he didn't know how serious we were. Either way, he was happy to see me volunteering. He led me into the second building, greeting everyone he saw with unconcealed glee. Like Lily had said, this guy really did live for Halloween. Thank you so much for helping out today, he added, as though I'd sacrificed a family vacation or honeymoon to be here. Good cause, I said, without thinking about it. There was a clipboard posted with a sign-in sheet that had my name and cell phone number on it, which had to have come from Lily, right next to sign-in and sign-out times. My best guess was that students were volunteering, too, and they got some kind of extra credit for it. Not me, of course. All the kids' desks and chairs had been stacked in the corners, and three big tables were set up, some covered with food, but one covered with masks and costumes, and one set up with gruesome props and phony weapons. Just grab whatever you like, and find me when you're ready. I'll take you out to the maze. Hey, why are you doing this on a weeknight? I asked before he could walk away. Why not on a Friday so you could go later? Ah, uh, tomorrow's the big game between Wallaceville and Miller's Fork High. We couldn't compete with football. He stressed football in a way that left no doubt as to what he thought about that. Ah, makes sense, I said. Yeah. And he said a word that he would surely berate his students for using. There was an assortment of masks, mostly clown-related, set up on the table, and I remembered Lily saying that this year Bledsoe actually had a budget. There was a frightening pumpkin skull face, a couple of mutants, a rotting zombie, and one with a pervy grin and tongue hanging out. On the end of the table was a full-on werewolf costume, complete with clawed gloves, deluxe mask, and a chest piece that overflowed with thick brown fur. That's the one I wanted. There were also sets of torn-up clothing, orange jumpsuits marked Department of Corrections, and what looked like a chef's outfit spattered with shiny, realistic-looking blood. I picked out a shredded button-up shirt and some ripped tan pants, and started putting them on over my clothes. It was cold out, but I removed my jacket, figuring the hairy chest would keep me nice and warm. At the end of the room, a couple of teachers were finishing putting on their clown costumes. I'd never been particularly afraid of clowns, but one of them, a wiry guy in a jester costume, had put on makeup instead of a mask, and he'd done such a terrible job that it was kind of frightening. A guy bumped into me as I was trying on the mask. It was too big, 
and I would only be able to see out of one eye hole or the other. Excuse me, sorry, I said, and took the mask off. A muscular, sour-faced guy in his twenties looked at me like I had taken his parking spot, or maybe run over his foot. You Tim? I shook my head, even though I assumed he'd meant Tom. You Lily Davenport's boyfriend? Oh, I said, trying to smile. Yeah, that's me, Tom Cantreaty. He did not shake my hand. Nice coyote costume. He said it, coyote. It's a, a werewolf, actually. It's got gloves and everything. I was getting a hostile vibe from this guy. I could almost guarantee he taught gym class and got off on making the out-of-shape kids cry or pass out. His nostrils flared, and for a moment, I thought he would take a swing at me. I steeled myself. I hadn't enjoyed junior high school myself, but this guy was made for it. You ain't so hot, he said, and before I could come up with any clever response, not at the end of October, no, he turned and stalked off, as though he'd just pushed me into a locker. I could have told him we'd broken up, or more precisely, that she'd broken up with me, but I hadn't. I didn't know this guy or her, for that matter. Anything. I looked around for the glove pieces of the costume. A short, balding kid had come in and was looking over the pile of costumes. He saw me and made a pitiful sound. Ah, you got the wolfman one? Excuse me? I was in no mood for another pissing contest. But this guy wasn't the type. He seemed timid and disappointed. I saw when he got the masks, wanted to be the wolf man, but I couldn't get a ride in time. There's lots of great costumes, I said, giving him a smile I didn't feel. Can you do a wolf man call? he asked. A what? I've been practicing all week, he boasted, his eyebrows raising. Then he let out an unashamed, blood-curdling howl that drew even the clown's attention. Dang, I said. Leon Cheney lives. That reference meant nothing to him, but he grinned anyway, and I couldn't help it. I handed him the mask and started unvelcroing my chest piece. All right, you win. I'll pick something else. And a look of relief and joy came over his face that surprised me. Clearly this was a harmless, perhaps less than smart young man, who loved Halloween, or Wolfman, maybe, just as much as Mr. Bledsoe did. I found him the gloves. One had been kicked under the table, and he started snarling as he put them on, getting as into his character as that asshole doctor that insisted people call him by his character name, and threw a fit that time, in an American accent, even though he was from England. I went back to the table and got the orange pumpkin skull mask, figuring it was just as good it really wasn't, and picking out a weapon to carry around. There were plastic machetes and knives, a saw with fake blood inside it, an axe, a rubber hammer, even a baseball bat with nails pounded through it, also plastic. I chose the axe and grabbed a mangled, gory, severed arm to go with it. 
I put the mask on top of my head like a baseball cap and went outside. Mr. Bledsoe was talking to a sour-looking older lady that could have been the school secretary, could have been his wife, and could have been his mother. Choner again? he was saying. I guess I'd better warn everybody. He turned to me and laughed. Excellent, Tom. L let's see you with the mask on. I slipped it on, and he laughed harder. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to see you do your thing. Here, let me give you a ride over to where you're going to be. I started to tell him I could walk over on my own, but he gestured, and the maze was all the way on the other side of the property. Also, he seemed eager to give me a tour. He had a little four-wheeler ready to go, and told me to sit on the front of it, like a kid pumping a neighbor boy in my hometown. I climbed on, doubtful the metal bars there were designed with butts in mind. He started it up and drove us to the little dirt road that led into the attraction. There was a big sign, cut out of plywood letters, obviously by a junior high shop class, that spelled out Murder Maze. That reminded me. I never had looked up to see if murder really meant a group of birds, or if Lily had been making fun of me. After all, she had been less than a week away from dumping me at the time, and I didn't dare ask the assistant principal. Boy, was he happy with his maze. It wasn't so much a maze as a big figure eight, with different sections elaborately decorated and on display. There was a campground area, complete with phony flickering campfire, with torn-up tents, where hockey-masked Jason would jump out. There was a fake graveyard, complete with personalized headstones with the faculty's name on them, also courtesy of the shop students. There was a tarp covering a deadfall, real or fake, I couldn't tell, that he promised would explode with zombies when the hay wagon came past. There was a broken-down school bus that had been literally covered with spider webs, and a giant spider on top of it that appeared to be made from a yoga ball and those swimming pool noodle things. The spider was supposed to drop down from the top of the bus, but apparently that kept knocking the legs off, so it only hung there now, and somebody would be in charge of pulling the rope that made it wiggle. There was a row of tables with body parts on it that the guy with the chainsaw would be lurking around. There were scarecrows lined up along the path, with either pumpkins or skulls for heads, and one that looked to have been altered by some student to have an enormous erection. I didn't point it out to the assistant principal and ruin that kid's fun. And the section Bledsoe was most proud of, a big makeshift big-top tent, where the creepy clowns were already dancing around to messed-up circus music coming from cheap speakers right inside the openings. My own section was The Haunted Woods, which was decorated with fake-looking papier-mâché trees that went twenty feet along the maze's path on both sides. This is where I would hang out, and Bledsoe said he'd send another guy over to join me if anybody else showed up. Before he left, he told me to have fun and that there were only two rules. No swearing at the customers, no matter how snotty they were, and no touching any of them. No matter how snotty they are, I anticipated. He shook his head. It's more because of volunteers with, you know, grabby hands in the past. Ah, I said. 
trying to figure out if that meant what I thought it meant. You bring any gloves? A coat? he asked me. I hadn't. It was cool, but not cold, and I had two layers of clothes on, my own and the torn-up ones. I'll be fine, I promised. Mr. Bledsoe told me he would be by from time to time, and to flag him down if I had any questions. Before he rode off in his little ATV, he thanked me again for showing up tonight. A good cause, I called out to him. Again. The sun went down. We would be out here from 6 to 9 p.m., and the wagon would come through as fast as it could get loaded and unloaded. The wagon, it turned out, was a long, thin hay cart that was pulled by a tractor. It went about five miles an hour and could fit between a dozen and twenty people, depending on their size and how closely they huddled together. It had a light on the front of it, and a writer dressed as the Grim Reaper, who turned out to teach drama at the school, acted as tour guide, with a big flashlight of his own. Right before the first batch went through, my friend the werewolf got dropped off, and came jogging by, his mask, gloves, and chest piece all in place. He sort of hunched over, already half man and half animal, and asked me where the edge of the woods was. Wolfman staked out the far end of the woods, while I lurked at the start of it. As it got dark, I decided I'd pretend to be chopping wood with my axe. Then, when I saw the visitors on the cart, I'd pretend to chop them as well. It was fun, though my field of vision through the mask was dangerously limited. I worried I'd whack somebody with my plastic axe, but the closest I ever came was hitting the side of the cart, and that only once. There were so few of us out in the maze that, the first time a tour went through, it occurred to me that I could pretend to attack one side of the cart when they came in, and if I crossed the road and hid in the bushes growing on that side, I could attack the other side when they came out. This worked great, until I realized that, because it was coming in the other direction the second time, I was still attacking the side I'd gone after the first time. So I switched up what side I'd attack, sometimes groaning, sometimes shouting, Fresh meat for my supper! and ultimately deciding to cackle like an old prospector in a Gold Rush movie. That was fun. But there was only one tractor, and the one cart, and it took a while for them to unload the riders and get it loaded with passengers again. That meant there was eight minutes of downtime for every ten minutes in the maze, and that, added to the rapidly cooling night, made the job a real chore. I got bored. I got cold. And I got to thinking, which was somehow worse. My signal that the hay wagon was on its way was the sound of the chainsaw man, who was the one who ended up wearing the bloody chef's outfit. And then, after the cart had gone past, I waited beside the road until I heard my pal the werewolf do his howling thing to know that the riders were coming back my way. I hung out there, trying not to shiver, until his howl tipped me off then I'd squat down and get ready to jump out again. The riders of the cart were mostly made up of Wallaceville middle school students and their younger siblings. Every once in a while there were parents, teachers, and a lot of grandparents. Some screamed, some laughed, 
Some jeered and told me how not scary I was. I assumed those were the students that made Lily's English classes such a chore to teach. A couple of little, little kids were crying, which made me feel bad, and one girl told me her boyfriend was going to kick my ass, which made me feel bad in a different way. It got dark fast, and with the loss of the sun, got colder and colder, and I regretted giving up the gloves and furry chest piece. I kept my mask on the whole time, because it made a kind of seal that kept my ears and nose warm. My fingers were not so lucky, so I ended up swinging the phony axe around to keep my arms moving. It helped a little. Some cheerleaders joined in, only an hour late, and were dropped off by the school bus and the giant spider. I could hear them screaming every time a tour went through, and I was impressed, since they seemed to be genuine school cheerleaders, and their little skirts were not intended for a night this cold. In fact, it came as no surprise when, a few minutes into our second hour, the whole group of cheerleaders—there were four—came trudging down the path, shivering and complaining about the cold. They were done for the night. I couldn't really blame them, and as I watched them go, they really were too young to work as cheerleaders, though I admired their enthusiasm. I wondered why I had bothered coming out here and doing this. Sure, it was enjoyable as I was trying to scare the visitors, but the rest of the time I thought about Lily and the cut-short relationship we'd had, and it just bummed me out. Even seeing her in her Red Riding Hood almost outfit wasn't worth the discomfort I felt now. I stomped my feet around, trying to get the blood moving through my toes. I heard a branch snap, and turned around, expecting to see one of the girls, maybe with a thermos of hot chocolate and a blanket, ready to go back to work screaming and calling for help. But there was nobody there that I could see. My mind kept wandering back to my ex-girlfriend, no matter how hard I tried not to like trying not to think of Hillary Clinton riding a purple hippopotamus. She had said I was a sweet guy, but we wanted different things, and that we were too unalike. Dissimilar, that was the word she had used, a teacher's word. And I guess that was true. But I was a simple guy, probably more like the kid in the wolf costume than I would guess, and I simply wanted Lily Davenport especially once she was gone. Out here tonight, I wanted Lily Davenport and a blanket, maybe a cup of coffee, if that wasn't getting greedy. I'd only smoked one cigarette since she'd given me the brush off. One delicious, over-in-a-second cigarette. But just the one. I wondered if that would mean something to her. I wondered if... The tractor came by with another batch of riders. I started fake hacking with my axe and froze as they got near enough that the light from the tractor hit me straight on. Then I spun, as if discovering I was not alone out here, and made my first attack. I thought about the wolfman guy. God, had I even asked him his name? And felt a twinge of jealousy. Every time I heard his loud and enthusiastic howling, I couldn't miss how much he was loving this. He was like one of those old ladies that starts holiday decorating in the fall, complete with 24-hour Christmas carols, and got all her shopping done before the first snowflake fell. It was cold enough tonight that I wouldn't have been surprised to see snowflakes coming down, 
at least in the mountains. And that wasn't the only reason I was jealous of what's-his-name. Whatever he taught, he worked at WMS with Lily, and probably got to see her every day. Now, that didn't mean that the two of them were close, and there was no way she'd ever slept with him, no matter how irresponsible she got after a few drinks. But they had to be friendly, and as co-workers, he probably talked to her all the time. And after tonight, I might not ever see her again. Except for some awkward run-in at Walmart or the gas station, which would maybe hurt us both, maybe only hurt me. If she was with some other guy when we crossed paths, well, that would be like a kick to the Jolly Ranchers, only on the inside, in the heart. My second attack almost came too late. I was waiting to hear my buddy do his wolfman call to warn me to get ready, but I didn't hear it. So I nearly tripped over myself in an attempt to get off my half-frozen butt and run around the wagon to scare the riders. One of the kids, who had to have been twelve at the oldest, probably not even old enough to go to Lily's school, told me to chop your own head off, you asshole, and nobody on the wagon got after him for it. Not even the Grim Reaper, who was there to make sure everybody played nice. That made my night a little less fun. As if the cold wasn't doing enough of that. I could see my breath when I got close enough to the light in the graveyard to see anything, and my nose was starting to run. I had a handkerchief in my jeans, but every time I reached for it, I put my hands in the pockets of my torn-up pants instead. I wandered around in circles, wishing for gloves or a jacket or both, and when the next wagon load came by, I ran and jumped around extra hard just to get my blood pumping a little bit. My toes were starting to hurt through my tennis shoes, and my ears were like ice cubes. The werewolf did not howl this time, either. I wondered if he'd gone home early, like the cheerleaders had, or if he was off talking on his cell or having a smoke. I wondered if he'd give me one. After the tractor took that group away, nobody called me an asshole in that bunch, at least. I walked up the path, just to see if the guy was still there. If he could go home, then I could go home, too. I found the spot where the fake trees ended, where I assumed he had been jumping out, but nobody was there. I couldn't explain it, but I got a tightening in my stomach and was suddenly sure something was wrong. He'd tripped and hurt himself, or wandered off and broken his ankle in a gopher hole, or he'd gotten lost somehow. It was too cold for snakes out here, but surely there were dangerous somethings in an overgrown field you could run into. I went to the school bus, where the spider wrangler, that's what he called himself, and a zombie were hanging out. Neither of them had seen Wolfman, though they told me his name was Dwight. I went back to the edge of the woods, just as the tractor appeared in the distance, driving past the chainsaw guy. I called Dwight's name, first quietly then louder. He didn't answer. I fished out my cell phone. The tractor came around the turn, right in my direction. I had set down my axe, but I still had my mask on, so I made a lunge for the people closest to me, then cackled as they drove on by, but my heart just wasn't in it. If it ever had been. I turned my phone's flashlight feature on. I couldn't figure out what had tipped me off, 
but I was convinced Dwight was hurt. I shined the light around and saw a shoe sticking out of the waist-high weeds. I was wrong. Dwight wasn't hurt. The werewolf was laying on his back, one of his hands up and half covering his mask. The furry chest piece had been brown before, but was red and brown now. All over his chest, stomach, arm, and groin were puncture marks. A dozen open wounds. They had bled freely, but the blood was still now, already starting to coagulate. He had been stabbed multiple times, and not with a rubber knife. My breath caught in my chest, and after I finished gasping, I reached for his neck. He was dead, obviously, but I felt for a pulse anyway. I had no medical experience, but I'd worked at the rec center for three years, and everybody had to get basic CPR training as part of the job. But Dwight was dead, his skin cold, colder than mine, even if his blood was still hot enough to make steam. There were a dozen guys running around the maze, all dressed like psychos and serial killers. One it seemed, hadn't been pretending. I heard the chainsaw rumble in the distance, and I worried, stupidly, that the kids were going to see the body on the next go-round. But it was out of the way. Maybe dragged. Maybe attacked out here. Maybe chased. Nobody would see it from the path. Not till morning. I had my phone out anyway, so I used it to dial 911. They answered promptly. I'll give them that. I told them what had happened, and while I was on with them, the tractor came through, another batch of giggling tweens aboard. The drama teacher pointed me out to the passengers. I heard him say, Look out! There's nothing more dangerous than a guy on a cell phone, especially behind the wheel. I ignored him, and they just kept on riding through. A couple kids even booed me. The emergency dispatcher seemed a little dubious over the phone, but said they'd send officers immediately. Before they arrived, Mr. Bledsoe showed up in his four-wheeler. A lot of his Halloween spirit seemed to have failed him. "'Hey, why aren't you in your section?' he shouted, not adding a single R. "'Were you on your phone?' Immediately, I was suspicious of him. Maybe the wolfman had been giving it less than his all as well, and earned more than a little reprimand. Yeah, police are on their way. What gives, mister? Did half of you go home early? Okay, maybe he didn't know what was going on. I pointed to the dead body. Something happened to Dwight, I said, which was putting it lightly. Mr. Bledsoe examined the body himself, and when he looked up at me, pronouncing him dead, there was something new in his eyes. I think he thought I must have done it. Why? he asked. My thoughts went back to Lily, of course, and wanted to make sure she was safe. We should get all the people together, I suggested. Make sure everybody else is okay. He couldn't argue with that. Police lights lit up the night, flashing red and casting long shadows. 
Dwight, she told me, had been the handyman at school, and absolutely nobody would want to hurt him. She cried as she said it. My phone started ringing. I glanced at it. Unknown number. I didn't answer it. Before Lily could pull away, I kissed her on the forehead. I was sure it would be my last time. Sure enough, she ran over to one of the paramedics and started talking to him. I thought I might cry, too. My phone beeped from my pocket. I had a voicemail. I normally would have ignored it, but I thought I'd better check, since I'd called the police from this number. Nobody had acted like I was a suspect, at least nobody in uniform, but I could feel eyes on me, since I was the only stranger here who had volunteered. My voicemail rang, and then there was a tone. A voice spoke on the recording. Pretty tricky, it said. Guess I should have got you before, before you had the mask on. I recognized the voice, but only barely. It was the guy who'd bumped into me earlier tonight, who'd asked if I was Lily's boyfriend, when I'd been putting on the werewolf costume. The recording went on. Don't know why you switched outfits. I figured she was Red Riding Hood, you were the wolf. But there you are, your arm around my girl. Makes me wonder, who did I kill? Then the guy laughed. He actually laughed. And it makes you wonder, will I try again? We'll see. Then there was a beep as he hung up. I wondered if he was watching me now. I searched the crowd. A couple of little kids were looking my way, confused and shivering in the cold. A clown was looking in my direction. He held a phone to his ear, but was in the middle of a conversation. He didn't make eye contact and was a good deal fatter than the guy I had talked to. But he was out there somewhere. Somewhere close. Guess when you asked for volunteers for the murder maze, you were playing with fire. What a stupid name. The End All right, there you go. Murder Maze. Uh, this is a story that I have had these last couple of years, and I never put it out because I felt while I was recording it that it wasn't very good. I sent it to, I think, one or two people, and one of them agreed, oh, yeah, it's not very good. And so I just took that to heart and buried it. I never edited the recording. I did publish the short story, like I said. I never edited the story so I could put it in a collection. It, it just, it was something that I considered to be a failure. But in editing it today, it really brought back some memories of where I was when I wrote it. And briefly, a lot of the stuff in this story actually happened. It was right before Halloween. I believe it was the Thursday before Halloween. And instead of an ex-girlfriend, 
Uh, it was my sister who had gotten me to volunteer for a an outdoor Halloween carnival. And it wasn't for a school, but it was for the county jail, which she worked at. You know, it was mostly volunteers, but there were also inmates that were participating. As long as it wasn't for violent crimes, um, I guess that they could volunteer to participate. And uh, I found that strange. But it was the, the, the jail that it was being done with, and uh, it was officers and officers' families that were participating as uh, fortune tellers or monsters or doing the games. And she had asked me if I wanted to do it, and of course I did. It sounded fun. What I hadn't counted on was that it was the coldest October on record. It was really, really rough. This was the week where we had to run to the cabin on Halloween day, my brother-in-law and I, because all the pipes were freezing. And my brother was just terrified that they would all explode, that they would burst. And so it ended up being pretty miserable out there. This was a big plot of land out behind the jail where they had essentially built a maze. And it's something I guess they had done several years in a row, a, a fundraiser for the community. And there was a really cool werewolf costume and I did start to get into it. And then this dude said, no, 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 that one's mine. Hey, that, that's mine. I called dibs on the werewolf. Hey, hey. And I, and I, at this point, I wonder if maybe he had been an inmate, but probably not. He was probably just a deputy or something like that, And because sometimes deputies can be a-holes. Sorry. So I took off the werewolf costume and I put on a orange skeleton mask. And oh, there were deer right there. God, he gets the heart rate just thumping, dude. Ah. It's a wonder that I love October because it's always October when the deer are crossing. Uh, so I so I put on that other costume and I went out there and there weren't a lot of volunteers. And so I was sort of by myself in a spot. And eventually the, the chainsaw guy showed up. Eventually the cheerleaders showed up. Although I think they were from the high school. In the, in the story, they're all junior high cheerleaders. But just like I said in the story, it was so cold that a lot of these volunteers were like, F this noise. And after an hour or half an hour or maybe even 20 minutes, they were like, no, let's go back. This, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I was alone for the whole stretch of time. And as a way to kill time, because there really was only one cart and they would load it up and bring it around and then take it back and unload it. So there would be a good 10 or 15 minutes in between each cart load. So to kill the time to keep myself entertained, I got my phone out and I got the voice memo app going and I made up this story that you just heard speaking into it. And what's funny is I remember a deputy coming by to check on everybody. And he heard me talking 
into the phone and he made fun of me for it. And I had forgotten that until I read my notes today. I guess it was significant enough that I mentioned it, that the guy made fun of me. And it could be that this guy was the inspiration for the bad guy in this story. I'll put a picture of me in that costume in the art, the cover art, just because I, I did take a couple of pictures of myself while I was out there uh, because I was bored. I, I've mentioned before, I think there was a MasterCard I'm Bored episode that I ran years ago uh, where I talked about I'm almost never bored. Just there's always too many things on my plate. And now that we have these smartphones, holy smoke, there, there's almost no excuse to be bored. Uh, last week, I was coming back from the cabin and there was a car accident and it was a, a semi truck uh, impacted with a automobile and it blocked the canyon and I was just stopped and the vehicle behind me had checked on the road hazard website and said, yeah, it'll be an hour before they can clear it up. But I was stopped for more than 90 minutes. It, it ended up being almost two hours that it cost me, you know, close to two hours just stopped waiting for them to clear the wreckage on the road. And even then, I wasn't bored because I had my audiobook. I was I had my car, right? Luckily, I was close enough to town that, that I had a signal. I was able to text my cousin. He asked me about scary movies that might be appropriate for his daughter. And that killed like 20 minutes of me just come, thinking of them and sending them to him. Uh, the one that I ultimately said that she should check out was Something Wicked This Way Comes from 1983. I thought that would be the number one choice for what she would like. Eventually, I got out of my car and I looked up at the stars because a lot of the vehicles at this point had just turned off their engines, turned off their lights, and you could just relax. Uh, and I watched satellites go up by overhead and planes in the distance. So... I'm lucky, I guess, that I'm very, very rarely bored. But that night in 2019, I was bored, bored enough that I wrote this story. And hopefully it didn't bore you. But if it did, it, it, it did. The main character is a bit of a sad sack, like most of the main characters that I write about are. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not something that's going to be life changing for anybody, this story. Uh, it will be promptly forgotten. Until I put Murder Maze in a future collection. Then, you know, somebody somewhere will have to suffer through it again. Well, that's it. I tried to keep this short. Maybe I didn't succeed, but I wanted to have it out for Halloween so that you could enjoy it if that's possible. I hope that you did. I hope that you enjoy my narrations. I hope that you like the stories that I write. I had a story in mind to run this year if I had that extra week at the end of the month, which I don't have. Of course, maybe once I'm in Germany, I will be bored because Jeff goes to bed at a reasonable time. Then he wakes up at 5 a.m., sometimes earlier than 5. And so I'll have some time on my own with my laptop and I will realize I could have 
put out a, another story episode. But this was hedging my bets. And here's the thing. There's always going to be another Halloween. And so maybe next year's will be a little bit more elaborate. Who can say? I hope that you have a good harvest season. I hope that you have a great Halloween, even if you don't celebrate it. Just that day turns out to be a really good one for you. And maybe uh, something spooky happens to you. As John Carpenter taught us, everyone is entitled to a good scare. I have been Rich Outfield. Good evening. Hello, this is fake Sean Connery. Rish is over at his rarely functioning computer, toiling on the next episode. Look at him, so sad. So deluded to think that what he does matters, that anyone cares. I can hear you. I'd almost feel sorry for him, if I weren't a figment of his fevered imagination. Will you do the license already? Yes, yes. The show you have just listened to is produced under what's known as a Creative Commons 3.0 license, in which you are free to download and share the files as you like, but you cannot change them, take credit for them, or attempt to sell them. I wouldn't take credit for them either. Take Sean, if you're not going to help... Ah, I've hurt his feelings. Look, the lad tries so hard. I see him literally working on podcasts every single day of the week. And for what? To be insulted by a bald, geriatric ex-celebrity? Fair enough. So listen, if you appreciate any of what that silly sod does, I advise you to head on over to Patreon and support him. You can give him a dollar an episode, can't you? Can't you spare one bloody dollar, you selfish pig-headed ingrate? The boy waxes wee fingers to the bone! I'm going to lose Patreon supporters. I'm just saying, the boy works hard for the money. So hard for you, honey. Gross, fake Sean, come on. Couldn't you toss a pound or two his way to keep the ennui from overtaking him? It's already got me. If any of what he does has ever made you laugh or... Feel better about yourself, and it most certainly does me. Please support the lad. Is that better? Yeah, I guess. Oh, and thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for his music. Now there's a real man. Thank you. darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize yours neighborhood. I'm gonna free you tonight. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. I'm gonna thrill you tonight, thrill 
the foulest stenches in the air. The funk of forty thousand years and grisly ghouls from every tomb. I'm gonna throw you tonight. Stop that. A closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver. For no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. Chalupa wider than a burrito, lighter than a mosquito, I know. I couldn't think of anything that rhymed with burrito. Crunchier than a Dorito, I know. So I've had this tradition of putting outtakes at the end of pretty much all of my episodes. I know there have been a couple where I didn't have outtakes. Although that blows my mind because I just have a master file of outtakes that I pick and choose from every episode. I have asked people, listeners, if you like the outtakes. I've never asked people if you stick around for the outtakes, but it's something that I always did on the Steve. I would always put something after the Creative Commons. Always. Because I had listened to podcasts and sometimes there were podcasts that would end with like a scripted word for word spiel that would be like two minutes long and then the episode would end. And so, of course, you'd skip that after you'd heard it a couple of times and realized it's the same. Sometimes they wouldn't even read it. It was just a tape that they'd play uh, like a copyright or something like that. And I remember... I feel like it was Norm Sherman would put like a little thought from the episode, like a lesson that you learned from the episode, kind of a now you know kind of thing at the end of every one of his shows. And so I would stick through the thanks and the acknowledgments and all of that, the invitation to donate so that I could hear his thing. And, And so I thought I will always find something to put at the end. And sometimes it was lengthy. I know there was one episode where we had like a 14-minute post-credits outtake. And sorry if if that annoys you, because I think I remember somebody saying, guys, guys, if that annoys you. Extended thought. But it amused me a lot. And sometimes there are things that you have to do to amuse yourself, to keep yourself motivated, to wake yourself up or to say, you know, I find that funny. And so it's worth the extra little effort. I don't care if nobody else finds it funny. Anyhow, it continues. The tradition continues. And I am in the last stages of finishing the audiobook for Arcove's Bright Side right now. And there's like 20 minutes of outtakes. And a lot of it I'll just send to Abby and she can keep it or, or share it or delete it if she likes. But I thought it might be interesting to share this little bit with you. And, and again, if it's not interesting, then 
Touché. You're under no obligation to keep listening. For example, a a couple of times I cut out all of the ums and the you knows uh, and I put them in there and, and I find it amusing. If you guys hate that, I probably won't ever end up doing it again. I did it once on a Dune Steve marathon, and then I did it for the final episode of the Dune Steve. Uh, and so it'll never happen again. But something that I wanted to share with you from this audiobook, the, 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 the most difficult audiobook I ever did was Hunter's Unlucky, the very first epic novel that I did for her. But this one is pretty close because I've become much more of a perfectionist. And there are just so many characters with voices that I've tried. I've struggled to keep distinct and to keep recognizable. And something that I learned, I believe it was Dana Carvey said on an interview. He was like on The Carson Show. He was on Letterman where he was talking about when he was on Saturday Night Live. That he would come up with like a little phrase, a little line or sentence that he would say that epitomized the voice for the character that he was going to perform. For example, for George Bush Sr., it was not going to die. Or for Church Lady, well, isn't that special? Or for Ross Perot, it was, can I finish? Can I finish? And that's all he'd have to do is he'd he'd say that little tiny thing and immediately his mind would switch and he could do that voice. And in the Steve days, when we first started, there was this big fantasy story that we did. It, oh, it was so ambitious. You've no idea how ambitious we were in those days to take on those kind of thankless challenges. You would have thought that we were being paid to do that show with the amount of effort that we put into it, but... There was this fantasy story that we did uh, where I did some of the characters, and I think Big did some of the characters, and then we probably farmed out the female voices, but we recorded it all in one lengthy sitting, and I would have to do that, the can uh, I finish, to get my my voice right. for So every single time a particular character had a line, I would do that thing. You know, like Casey Kasem is now on with the countdown. You know, Johnny Carson is, I did not know that. You know, that kind of stuff. So for these two voices that I believe they had conversations with one another, I would have to try and separate them in my mind. And and every once in a while I would do that voice. And I believe that I edited the story, but it's possible that Big did. Now it had to have been me because we saved the can I finish? I did not know that. Well, I try, you know, that kind of stuff. We saved those, and I feel like there was a file that had a bunch of them. I could be misremembering. Sometimes Big remembers things better than I do. So there are a couple of characters in Arkov's Bright Side where I have to do that. And so I'm going to present you now with way more of this than you could ever possibly want. Even if you're that one person that said they liked the outtakes at the end of the episode, this will break you. And you'll turn it off long before the Creative Commons ever rolls again. But like I said, sometimes we do these things for ourselves, and I think I will find it amusing, even if you don't. Princess Leah, Princess Leah, 
Princess Leah, good for you. Princess Leah, there's nothing else. Princess Leah, good for you. I'm afraid that won't. I'm afraid that won't be possible. Princess Leah, Princess Leah. I say, I say, I say. I say, I say, I say. You've given your word. Princess Leah, Princess Leah. Good for you. Princess Leah. I say, I say, I say. Defecation. Good for you. Good for you. Princess Leah. Princess Leah. I say, I say, I say. Ghosts walk on ice where others dare not tread. A scout. Good for you. I say, I say, I say. Princess Leah. Princess Leah. Good for you. Princess Leah. Good for you. Princess Leah. I say, I say, I say. Dazzle sheep thief. Princess Leah. I say, I say, I say. Princess Leah. Good for you. I say, I say, I say. There is unstable ice and loose rock above the tunnel. Princess Leah. Good for you. You are the one bringing up. Princess Leah. I say, I say, I say. You will simply have to owe us a favor, Dazzle Lightfoot Sheep Thief. Princess Leah. Good for you. Good for you. Princess Leah. Good for you. I say, I say, I say. It would slow them down. Good for you. Princess Leah. Good for you. Princess Leah. You can surely understand how that... Good for you. He's awfully full of... I say, I say, I say. You're misplaced, Cretia. Princess Leah. Good for you. Princess Leah. Good for you. That's a sheep thief, growled Abyss. When you cannot bargain, you steal. Dazzled sheep thief. Princess Leah. Dazzled sheep thief. Princess Leah. Good for you. Good for you. Males likely to give birth at any moment. A few half-grown cubs and some elderly males. Quite an army you've got there, Arcove. Boy, he is an asshole. He raised his voice. Uh. You know, it was mostly volunteers, but there were also inmates that were participating. And uh, I wondered if that was something that was public knowledge in the community, because it seems like you would be nervous about it. I mean, granted, yeah, it's not dangerous criminals. You know, it's somebody that is in there for minor infractions, my assumption is. Otherwise, you wouldn't let them run around with a mask on. Uh, you wouldn't let them run around at all because they would head for the hills. I wonder if that should be an outtake. Okay, I'll cut that bit out and I'll add this, that um, when I was a kid, the state hospital, you know, the mental hospital, would hold a haunted house every year. And the participants in the haunted house were mental patients. And... These patients looked forward to this all year round. It was something where that it was a carrot that the, the hospital would hold in front of them and say, you know, if you're on your best behavior, if you don't break any of the rules, et cetera, et cetera, you will be able to participate in this haunted house in October. And so it was an incentive for them to follow the straight and narrow line, you know? 
Uh, but eventually the news got a hold of it. And the same people that were upset about, well, probably the mothers of the same people that were upset about Hocus Pocus 2 found out about this and made a big stink. And so the mental patients weren't allowed to participate anymore. And eventually the whole haunted house just folded because having free employees is much cheaper than having to pay employees. All right, end of outtake.